0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews.
1: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Today, we're going to talk about an interesting but difficult topic when morality is a problem. So generally speaking we think of morality as a good thing. People should we think honor certain codes of behavior in order to prove that they're good people and in order to maintain order in the world. But what we don't commonly know is that morality can be and often is a poor substitute for authenticity. We don't know it but we are commonly doing the right thing instead of doing the true thing. Yep. That's right, there can be a big difference between what's right and what's true. And today's show is going to point out that difference, as well as explore how this authenticity gets us closer to a true spirituality than does morality. So you don't want to miss a bit of this show. It's a very hot and important topic, particularly in today's political scene, where morality and immorality seem to figure so high in our arguments with each other about what's, what, what should be happening in that scene. So, okay. Let's look at morality itself. So what is morality? Morality is a bunch of rules that we're supposed to follow, which if we follow them, we, we sort of prove to ourselves and our world that we're good people. And if we don't follow them, we sort of prove to ourselves and our world that we're not good people. So that's how morality works. It's dangerous in that sense in that we are measuring our worth by whether or not we follow these codes of behavior, which can't really be measured in any kind of standardized, global-wide way. We we don't have a standard for goodness that is the same across the globe. For example, and I've made this example many times and I'll make it probably many more times, Osama bin Laden thought it was a good thing to fly planes into the trade towers and into the uh, Pentagon um the people in america don't agree they think that was a, an, an evil thing and so we have one person and, and and the people who flew the planes thought it was so good they were willing to die for it thought they were making the ultimate sacrifice of and and towards some kind of very true righteousness and uh, but the people in america thought it was evil so one part one group of people thought it was good really good and another people group of people thought it was bad really bad and so that's, that's, that's where we are with the whole definition of good and bad. We can't really decide because it's different in different cultures and different religions and different families um, where one family, for example, might think that uh, something is good. Another family might think that very same thing is bad. Um, and, and yet... Even in spite of the fact that we we don't really have a real, definite, standardized version of good and bad, we're measuring ourselves by it. Another thing is, even the standards we do have are fluid. Um, Is it bad to kill a person? Well, most people would say yes, unless he breaks into your house, or unless he rapes your daughter, or unless... He's just a really bad guy or unless he's trying to mug you or unless you're at war or unless you just, you know, there's lots of unlesses there. And so we have all these exceptions to the rule that we get to decide about. And yet the rule says we're moral or immoral and therefore we're worthy or unworthy. And it's that attachment to worthiness or unworthiness that becomes the problem, not the the code itself. There's nothing wrong with with saying that we shouldn't kill people. I mean, I think that's probably a pretty, pretty. Uh, it probably does maintain some kind of order in our society to have laws and rules that say that we shouldn't kill people. I'm, I'm not saying we should tear down the lo- legal system and uh, just become this complete uh, anarchic, chaotic world. What I am saying is that we attach our worth to these things, these mor- these morals, and they. And then, then we decide whether or not we have value based on whether or not we're obeying these rules, which makes them dangerous. So that's one of the problems of, of morality. Another problem, which is pretty simple for most people to see, is when people get extreme in their morality. So when somebody's hyper moral, they often are also hypercritical of other people. They are often. Uh, um, uh, belligerent about their morals and they're often very um, can be very hot-headed about their morals. In fact um, extremism in, uh, was what was operating when Osama bin Laden flew uh, planes into the trade towers in the Pentagon. So that kind of extremism can get violent and, and, so, and we do see that today in our culture particularly in the past six months or so we see an uptick in the number of crimes that are being committed based on morality. Hate crimes, where p- gays and lesbians or transgendered persons are being beat up or uh, shot or criticized because of their uh, their gender identity or their sexual orientation. Where uh, And people are saying that they're justified in doing that because it's evil to be gay or to have a, a different gender identity than the one you're born with. Um, and... Uh, a lot more racial crimes are being committed in the name of of some kind of morality. Um, the Ku Klux Klan, and I'll just go ahead and say this, believes that it is very right to to be doing what it's doing, and yet it's based in hate. So these are extreme organizations that that uh, and extreme me- uh, ways of behaving that operate out of uh, uh, an idea that uh, there's a right way to do things which to other people looks very wrong because it's so extreme. It's, as some people would say it's so far right is left, so far right is wrong. Um, so it, uh, that's how extreme it can get. And, and then it gets real blurry where the boundaries are and what's right and what's wrong and, and who's doing what to who and you know what's more moral about that. So, uh, so, and hate is a, one of those big things. We talked about hate in the last uh, episode, and we're not going to go into a lot of depth about that again today. But, 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 hate is one of those things that um, I, I, I remember seeing something on Facebook at one point. Somebody was talking to somebody else, and I was just sort of um, wa- watching their conversation on Facebook. And one person said something about religion being about Christianity, in particular, being about love. And the other person responded back with, "We forget that God also hates," and uh, and so what they were doing was saying that it was okay for them to hate gays and lesbians, and because God also hated them. And uh, so that kind of thing just gets real skewed when it when it comes to morality. We, we're deciding what somebody else should and should not do, and and actually, um, crit- not only criticizing them, but sometimes harming them based on morality. So that's when morality has become a problem. When it becomes extreme, it's become a problem. Okay, so that there's two examples of, of when morality is a problem. All, and and, and that's, that's not all, there's more. Uh, one of the main reasons that morality is a problem is because it's a substitute for authenticity. We try to be good instead of trying to be who we are. And the reason we do that, and this is the, the reason I'm doing this show today, is because the reason we do that is because we haven't been taught to trust our authenticity to be a good enough guide. We haven't been taught that within us there is enough spirit, enough connection to the divine, enough love, enough compassion to guide us in, the, in a way that is true. So, now, let me stop for a minute and do a little aside about what the difference is between what's right and what's true. What is right, typically seen as right, I should say, is what is morally correct. That is what most people would say is morally correct, although there's no most people here. Again, I say that what most one group of people thinks is right, another might think is wrong. But let's just say that there's a moral that can be determined to be right. And a lot of times when I'm seeing talking to clients in my office, in my practice, I, I hear people say, I just don't know what's right. I just don't know what the right thing is. And my challenge to them is to stop looking for the right thing and try to find the true thing. Okay, so what do I mean by that? Well, if it's true that I actually do have enough authenticity inside of me to guide me correctly that it can actually give me the compassion I need to, to be sound and wise in my interactions with other people and in my interactions with the world, then I don't need an external law to control me. I can go inside, tap into my inner resources, and operate out of those. One of the things that, that I really like about what, the, what Jesus said when he was here if what we have is correct, if what we have determined that he said is correct, is that he said um, that he could do nothing of his own initiative. That's in John 5, chapter 5, verse 30, if you want to look it up, um, for those who might want to argue with me about this topic. Uh, that uh, He said, uh, uh, I can do nothing of my own initiative. But he went on to explain that the Father was the initiator of his actions. So really, what he's saying there is divine source, which is the what the root language for father is. Is the the source of all. Um, so divine source was it was the initiator of all that Jesus was and did. So what does that mean? That means he's operating from his inner spirit. He's operating from his divine self. He's operating from the Christ nature. He's operating from the Buddha nature. He's uh, he's operating from that deepest soul source, okay? And what he, I believe, what Jesus came to tell us, and, and I'm using Jesus, I chose Jesus particularly, although I could have chosen Buddha or Krishna or some other people, um, uh, but I, I'm ch- I chose Jesus because right now in this country, in America, the people who are screaming morality the loudest are the people who worship Jesus, or say they worship Jesus. So uh, what I want to say there is what Jesus was saying was that morality was not necessarily the answer, but rather he was motivated from within. He was, he was initiated, in fact, from within. And, and, and he criticized the Pharisees for their, uh, you know, being whitewashed sepulchers, um, uh, cleaning the cup on the outside but forgetting to clean the inside. He called them vipers, and he he said that they were the people who were trying to get people to obey a morality, a code of behavior, uh, what they called the law back then. And, uh, of course, they found all these little ways to escape having to obey the law, too. Like one of those that he criticized them for having was a word called korban. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's C-O-R-B-A-N. And and he... um, he, that was a rule that they made up that said that if they said that some of their money was dedicated to God, they didn't have to give it to their parents, uh, their who elderly parents who might be desperately in need of some help, but they didn't have to give that money to their parents if they would already dedicated it to God. And he criticized them for that and said that that was a form of hypocrisy. So, you know, we can be so obedient to the law that we forget our compassion, and that's what they were doing. And that's what he accused them of being, of doing. And that is what is so often happening today in our world with this hyper morality that's become so popular. That we are 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 crit- spending a lot of time criticizing other people for their actions, for for who they are. In fact, we're criticizing gays and lesbians, um, and bisexuals for being who they are. We're criticizing transgendered people for um, for being becoming who they are, who they actually authentically are. And, and, uh, and, and a lot of not only criticism, but hate and even violence goes into that while they're claiming morality. Um, so uh, there's a lot of hate that goes with that. And, and that's what Jesus was talking about when he was saying that, you know, the heart is where it comes from. If there's badness in us, it comes from inside of us. It doesn't come from not obeying the rules. It comes from the inner source inside of us. If there's goodness in us, it comes from the inner source as well. So if we dig down deep under all the identities, all the roles, all the masks and costumes, which we spent several shows prior to this talking about and we'll talk about some more today, We dig down underneath those. What we get to is our soul, or what I call the authentic self. I also have called it the divine self. I've also called it Christ nature. I also call it Buddha nature. It's all those are synonymous terms. And uh, so, what what I'm saying here is that um, if we dig down underneath those, underneath not underneath those, excuse me, underneath the identity, the role, the mask and costume, to find the authentic self, the divine self the Buddha nature, the Christ nature, the spirit, the soul, whatever you call that, um, and we begin to operate from there, then we're doing what Jesus did. We're being initiated from the source. And I think he came here to show us how to do that. It's one person's thought, but I would challenge you to think about it. I think maybe he came here to show us how to do that. Instead of coming here to, to tell us about sin and goodness, I think he came here for something much, much bigger. I think he came here to show us who we are as Christ's nature, as divine self, as uh, one with the divine. Because he was. And he said, greater things than these shall you do. Because I'm going to the Father. I'm going away. I'm not going to be here. You can't give me credit for everything. You'll be able to do it. How will you be able to do it? You'll be able to do it how I did it, which was to tap into who I am as spirit. Now that is a profound thought, and it has nothing whatsoever to do with morality. So what's true? What's true is that I have a deeper self. I have a, a real uh, authentic self down inside me. I also may operate out of an identity that isn't who I truly am, but is what I've identified with. And We'll talk some more about that in the next segment. But I can identify with something other than who I actually am. I do have that capacity. And many of us, as a matter of fact, I would hasten to say that at some point in our lives, probably all of us have done that. And yet, there is an authentic self in there that I can use to to be the initiator of my life. And when I operate from that, it has its own natural compassion for other people. It has its own natural passion for what's true. It has its own natural life force that wants to see and promote and encourage life in ourselves and other people. It has its own capacity to, to lead in us into truth, into deeper and deeper truth. Because, why? Because it's true. It's not right. It's true. It's who we are as an authentic being. And so tapping into that is tapping into truth. And that's very different from tapping into what's right. Um, so this idea that, uh, that, that what's right and what's true are the same thing is false. You can be right. You can be so right, you're wrong. And you can, and you can think you're being so true, you're false. (laughs) But you'd be being true to your identity instead of true to your authentic self. And that takes consciousness work. It takes the work of waking up. It takes the work of of really becoming more and more aware of who you are deep down in there, uh, past all the identifications, uh, down below the role that we play in the world, and to something more true, more right, more, more not more right, sorry, more true, more whole, and therefore more holy, more sacred, more divine. Um, so, The biggest problem with morality beyond uh, the fact that it can be extreme, beyond the fact that we can't uh, standardize it, and beyond the fact that people define their worth by it, those are three other giant problems, the biggest problem with morality is that it isn't the same as authenticity. And we get it mixed up with authenticity a lot. We think that if we're being right, we must be being real, but very often we're not. And we're going to talk some more about that right after the break. So stay tuned for more. We'll be right back.
2: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com It's time to eradicate barriers that are holding you back in your relationships and your life.
3: mighty gems is waiting for you host d lee shares creative ideas sparkling inspirational wisdoms and life experience so you can connect to greater consciousness to gain special gifts of inspiration encouragement enlightenment and your own discovery journey it's time to show up now and experience what it means to be fully present in your life Tune in to Mighty Gems with Dee Lee. Live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment
2: Channel. Welcome to Portal to Ascension Radio. Your hosts, Neil and Sol Gore, will take you on a journey to expand your consciousness. You will learn about hidden ancient wisdom, advanced technology, cosmic consciousness, our true world history, the ascension of Earth, and so much more deeply esoteric and revolutionary information. It is time to explore the nature of reality. Listen every Friday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment.
0: Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll-free. 866 472 5795 That's one 866 472 You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
1: And we're back talking today about when morality is a problem. But before we talk any more about that, I want to remind you that I am a Super Soul Sunday lover And I would encourage all of you to be Super Soul Sunday lovers as well. And uh, while they're taking a break right now, you can see some of the shows that were on earlier. Lynn Twist is going to be on this coming up Sunday, who is uh, with the Soul of Money Institute. She's going to be talking about the perception of money and why many people believe that more is better when it comes to wealth. So you don't want to miss that. This whole thing about money is a big old deal It's a big spiritual deal as well as a big uh, emotional and physical and uh, um, uh, financial deal as well. So uh, uh, be there for that this coming Sunday at 10 and 11 Eastern and Pacific time. All right, so we've said so far that uh, morality can be a problem in, in some four very big ways. It can be a problem because we measure our worth by it. It can be a problem because it can get very extreme and therefore violent. It can be a problem because it isn't the true thing. Um, it, 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 it It's a problem. Morality can be a big problem. It isn't, we thought as we thought it was going to be, we thought it was going to be a solution to the problem of evil. So people were doing bad things so we thought if we came up with codes of behavior then they would get better. Um. And, you know, maybe behavior did get a little better as a result of the rules. And again, I want to be sure you understand that I'm not advocating for anarchy here. I'm not saying that we should not have any external rules at all. I do think we do need some kind of organizational rules. But I, uh, but I think that morality as a, an effort to change humanity and bring us to a place where we finally can have peace is not working we're, we've, we're doing the same old thing, looking for different results all the time with this whole code of morality. And the stronger morality gets, the more extreme it gets, the more it shows itself to not be a solution to the problem of evil. So, uh, you know, if I try harder to be more moral so that, you know, I'll be a better person and the world be a better place... Then all I'm doing is getting more extreme, which makes it the potential for violence, and that's you know. Then we got to go: is that moral or not? You know. So again, we can be so right, we're wrong, and uh, that's what morality does. It it can only uh, it can only help us to the degree that we use it for organization of our society. You know, people shouldn't kill. People shouldn't hit each other. People shouldn't assault each other. You know, those are good good organizational rules, and, and they're also laws, And uh, and so we can get in a lot of trouble legally if we do those things. But do they help us change who we are? Do they help us get in touch with a deeper spirit? And can they actually manage our inner world? No, they can't. They can't help us manage that inner world, and it's the inner world that creates the most steam Uh, to get us to do the quote-unquote wrong things if a person is going to kill somebody there's probably a lot of inner world going on to get him prepped to do that whether he does it as an act of passion or it's a planned act uh, he there's a lot of uh, stuff that goes on in the inner world before that action actually takes place so it's the inner world that is the issue Therefore, we need to be tapping into the inner world. So a lot of times when we tap into the inner world, what we tap into first is the identity. So what it, what do I mean by identity? All right, identity and role, those are interchangeable terms. An identity is a mask and costume that we wear that we believe is who we are. We describe ourselves by the way we behave and its patterns. We describe ourselves as... Well, I'm just a good person. I'll give you the shirt off my back. You know, I get used a lot by people because that's just who I am. That's the kind of description I hear people giving of themselves. Or, you know, uh, I'm really a depressed person. I, I, I feel pretty defeated a lot of the time. I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know how to uh, live and be okay. I've had a lot of financial problems. I've had a lot of social problems and relationship problems. And I just really don't know much about life. That's another way we could describe an identity. Um, you know, there's all kinds of labels we have for these identities. Bully is one, The person who acts out the bully role. Uh, the victim is another, a person who stays in a perpetual victim think, thought. They're just constantly thinking that life is bigger than them, and they're always going to be defeated, and it's just too hard. And they just can't. They just can't. Their mantra is, I can't. Uh, there's uh, the good guy identity, which I write about in the upcoming book that's coming out in August, uh, the August the 8th of this year, um, called Letting Go of Good, Dispel the Myth of Goodness to Find Your Genuine Self. Um, it's all about this good guy identity, that, and that's one of the things we're talking about today is a person who identifies with goodness in order to try to be this really good person, and they end up sacrificing and trying to please other people and 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 always being good, always doing the right thing, and they end up having a lot of resentment and a lot of exhaustion because they're trying so hard to be good that they've forgotten how to be real. And uh, uh, so that's one. I could go into a lot more depth with that, but I'll wait till the book comes out. Um, And uh, I can identify with badness. I could see myself as a bad guy, where I go around doing bad deeds just to prove that I really do exist. Um, That's another identification, and that's one that we see a lot with this. Like, for example, the serial killer, I think, has identified with badness in such a way that he's addicted to doing bad deeds so that he can prove that he really does exist as something because otherwise he doesn't feel like anything um, uh, we can identify as, a, as the runaway I'm the person who just doesn't feel I don't go to my feelings I, anytime somebody tells me to feel I run from it anytime tells me to, in, anytime somebody has a big problem I run from it uh, the, um, I'm not going to be around for stuff that's too heavy I'm a runaway um, I could be uh, uh, um, about Peter Pan, that's a person who's, you know, the old song, I won't grow up, I won't grow up. Well, that's Peter Pan. That's a person who's a perpetual player, who's not very interested in commitment or, or, or management or responsibility. Those are onus words to this person, and they don't want to operate out of those. Um, yeah, I've described these, these some of these roles in detail in uh, the book Restoring My Soul, um, so you can get that book on Amazon.com, and uh, it it really goes into a lot of detail and helps people work on trying to find the authentic self. So these roles, these masks and costumes, how did we get those? Well, we got them because we, we uh, were raised by parents who projected some of their unresolved issues onto us unknowingly, unconsciously projected some of their unresolved issues onto us. That's part of it. We grew up with certain ways of of interacting with these people and we we could see what they needed us to be and we needed to be a part of the family so badly that we began to operate as what they needed us to be. Um, There's some definitions of identity that clearly state that when a person is in an identity, they have lost touch with their authenticity. Um, And they also talk about... uh, uh, These two people, Ann Gia and uh, John, I think John Furman, uh, wrote a book called The uh, Primal Wound, where they talk about the primal wound being that dismissal of the authentic self by parents and in favor of the child being something the parents needed to be. And sometimes what the parents need the child to be is just good. I need you to be a good child because that will prove that I'm a good parent. And, you know, there's a little bit of that in every parenting episode. Uh, So we can see that that projection can get passed on pretty easily to a child. But there's also uh, a lot of it in some cases where uh, the the parent really, really needs to find some sense of, of self and some sense of worthiness by raising a child who's exceptionally good. And that child will identify with morality in a way that other children don't. And that child will grow up thinking that the way to be a really good person is to always serve other people, always sacrifice for other people, always be there for other people, always be successful in every endeavor, always be kind at all times, never speak up about your own pain, never speak up when somebody hurts your feelings, never say what's really true and keep smiling, keep smiling, be always loyal, be always faithful to other people, um, you know, uh, this is the person who, you know, gets the Girl Scout, Boy Scout badges. They they excel in life in some ways. Uh, and yet, internally, they're having massive struggles because they have given up themselves for this role, for this mask and costume. And whatever the mask and costume, whether it's bully or victim or um, good guy or bad guy or scapegoat or runaway or you know peter pan or whatever it is whatever the role of the mask and costume are is it prohibits us from living from that deeper self that what jesus talked about when he said uh i can do nothing of my own initiative but the father initiates that so when we uh when we when we live from an identity we don't live from our authentic selves Now, the authentic self may pop up every now and then and and have a voice, and we may sometimes even let it operate in our world, but but we won't operate entirely out of it because we're busy operating out of the role the mask and costume, and it's a way that we have established of surviving. Children know from their earliest time that that to, to live without their family is to die. Uh, And so there's a natural inborn fear of abandonment. And children attach that fear of abandonment to whatever their parents expect of them. So they try to become whatever their parents hope they will be. And whether the parents hope that overtly or covertly, there's a hoping there that the the child will turn out like the parents want the child to turn out. And that implies projection. Now, Now the parents have projected their wishes for how that child will turn out onto the child. Some parents do that very loudly and clearly by, like, for example, insisting that I'm a doctor and so my son is going to be a doctor too or my daughter is going to be a doctor too. We're just doctors in this family. I mean, that's one very obvious example, but there are many others. uh, How parents can just really want their children to be a certain way. Um, Sometimes parents want a little mini-me. and They want the child to grow up, look, walk, act, think, feel just like the parent. And if they don't, then they're either extremely criticized, rejected, uh, or you know, just put aside, dismissed. And and when they do act like the mini me, then they're being they're noticed and praised, and uh, you know, the child begins to see, oh, well, this is how I'm supposed to be. I get praised when I do this, and I get criticized when I don't do this. Therefore, I'll just keep doing the thing that gets me the good rewards. And, and so they do and they live into it so much that they begin to think that's who they are and the authentic self slips back into the unconscious where it's left to only come out when, when there's a, a crack in the door um, and uh, so the authentic self is in there it's always in there but it can get covered up uh, by this mask and costume this identity that we live out of and because that identity is there the first thing that we're going to tap into when we tap into our emotional world, our inner world, is the feelings of that identity. So um, so that's important to understand that 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 now that the identity is there, it, it has feelings. But here's an example of how the authentic self can work. So let's say I'm a good guy. I'm a scapegoat, good guy, whatever you want to call that. And I... Um, I've lived into being good for so long that I'm i am I'm kind of proud of myself for being a good person, but I'm also tired, and I, I just always think that somebody needs me, and I feel terribly guilty most of the time. I'm run by guilt. Anytime somebody needs something to be done, I start feeling guilty like it's my job to get it done, and if I can't get it done, then I'm going to just feel that much more guilty, or if I choose not to do it, oh my gosh, that's awful. I can't do that. I can't say no to people. I can't I can't uh, say no. I can't go over to Granny's house this weekend and wash her clothes and clean her house for her. I just can't do that because Granny needs somebody to do that and I'm the one that's volunteered and that would just make me feel so guilty and I just am going to let guilt push me to go ahead and do it. I'm not going to try to do anything else. On the other hand, so I've got that guilt going and that's that's a feeling that's coming from my identity. On the other hand, I've got some major resentment going on, too, and some major exhaustion. I'm really tired. I just am so tired. I'm, I've got some compassion burnout, and I've also uh, I've got some resentment. I resent having to always do for other people. I resent that, that I don't have any time for myself. I resent that that I can't have a Saturday of my own. I, I resent these things. and So I go to therapy, and I ask my therapist to help me get rid of that resentment, and my therapist says, well... That resentment is probably a voice from your authentic self telling you that you're doing a lot of things that are not really authentic. Now, no therapist is going to say that right off the bat, but but uh, but ultimately that's what we might learn is that, that you're doing a whole lot of things that aren't really authentic and that that resentment has come to tell you about it. It's come to give you a message that really you're you're doing a whole lot that's not really genuine. And it's exhausting you, and it's going to take a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual toll on your life if you keep doing it. Um, so now we've got two different feelings. We've got the guilt, which comes from the identity. We've got the resentment, which we think of as a quote-unquote negative feeling. It's coming from the authentic self. So if we can learn to sit with both feelings and let each have its say, we begin to get clarity about where they're coming from, which one is real which one is true, and which one is telling the lie. Because ultimately what we find out is that guilt tells the lie. Guilt wants to run us by morality instead of by truth. And that resentment has come to tell us, or that exhaustion has come to tell us, that there's a truer, deeper need in there. We need to take care of ourselves and then let compassion decide who it reaches out to and who it doesn't, rather than just following guilt into every encounter with other people. So guilt becomes a, a, a plastic way of operating where the authentic self, including our resentment, our compassion, our passion, our exhaustion, all of it will come to talk to us and say, hey, listen, there's another way of living. You don't have to live out of these high-minded morals in order to feel like an okay person. You can live authentically, and then your sense of worth will come from just being Instead of having to be, having to do, shoulds, ought tos, have tos, got tos, I'm guilty if I don't, I'm unworthy if I don't, those are the messages from that identity. So uh, what we're saying here is that, that, there, that there's a way of getting in touch with the authentic self, and it includes sitting with the authentic self. We'll talk some more about how to get in touch with the authentic self right after the break, so stay tuned for more.
0: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
3: What's your purpose on the planet? Are you ready to make jumps to pursue your passions? We often make excuses, but it commonly leads back to fear. Sharing our stories provides an opportunity to learn lessons and leverage pearls of wisdom that we gain on life's journey. We'll help you push through the fears that hold you back from empowering you to experience pure love and live your life's purpose. Tune in to the Beth Bell Radio Show Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Should there be more to your life? Do you need a change? Join her on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and a replay Fridays at 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Women's Channel. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration that opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time, 12 p.m. Eastern time, with award winning authors Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the Empowerment Channel.
2: Change your world, change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
1: we're back talking today about when morality is a problem and what we said in the first segment is that morality is a problem in several different ways whereas being authentic is is a way to get in touch with being led by your truest self by the divine self by the authentic self by the christ nature by the buddha nature i would encourage you to go back and listen again to that segment if you missed it um and uh and we talked in the second segment about how we can be uh, inauthentic, as well as how we can, uh, or, or just awareness that there is an authentic self in there that is also talking to us most of the time. We just don't generally dismiss its messages. Uh, so, we said we'd talk a little bit about how to get in touch with the authentic self in this section. And I, first, I want to say that there's a whole book on this Restoring My Soul is a workbook for finding and living the authentic self. Um, you can get it on Amazon.com and it is an actual workbook where you work in the pages of the book to really um, get in touch with uh, what the role, the mask and costume is and how you might actually get in touch with and begin to live from the authentic self. So um, so I'd encourage you if you're somebody who's really looking for a pathway to the authentic self, that's a book that, that, that really does help you get, get inside yourself. Um, to do the work and there is a work and that's, that's the piece that we don't want to hear. We generally hear just be you. We hear this all the time out there. Just be you. Like it's simple. Like it's just, oh, well, just, yeah, just slide into that. (laughs) It's not. Sorry. It's not. It's not easy to do. It's one of the hardest journeys we ever make. In fact, it is the journey of a lifetime. And uh, it, it is the one that really helps us to settle down more and more and more into our own skin and our own bones and live from the deepest core of who we are. We have a society, particularly in America, particularly in the West, um, that that is shame-based. We, our, our society is absolutely shame-based. And that shame is all about morality as well as image. And somehow those two have gotten real mixed up lately. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure exactly how that happened, but somehow morality and image uh, became one. That it's a good thing to have a good image, and it's a bad thing to have a bad image. None of that is real. It's all plastic, and it it has nothing to do with authenticity. But it's out there. And so we can work on that image really good and, and, you know, uh, polish it up and shine it down and wash it clean and you know get it out there but it's not going to have anything to do with who we are as an authentic being and we'll still be unsatisfied with life in general so okay how do you know when you're living an authentic life peace talked about this a couple weeks ago peace is is the evidence that we're living an authentic life and i'm not talking about that you don't have a lot of chaos in your life although that's true too i am talking about a deep inner peace a piece that just, it's that piece that people talk about, passing understanding, that's when you've tapped into something really genuine. And uh, we want to label that. We want to box it up and say, okay, well, that means now that I'm a religious person, I'm a spiritual person, I've had some peace. So that's what that means. And now I'm just supposed to live this really good life because now I've had some peace. And what we're doing is turning that spiritual moment into another identity. And that's not going to work. It's not going to last. And we'll end up flat on our faces again, as we often do when we try to do something false. Um, Although there are many people who live in the false the whole of their lives and do it quite successfully. Um, But the idea here is that uh, there is an authentic self. We have it. It's, It's in there. It's all the time there. Just like the roots of the tree... It may be underground where we can't see it, but it is the life force of that tree. That's the way the authentic self is. And it generates all that we, all the energy we have in life for X number of years. And we can dismiss it and send it away and pretend it's not there and become unconscious of it and operate totally different from what it wants us to operate out of. We have that capacity to do that. That's what's amazing about the human species. Animals don't do that. Animals don't lie, they don't trick themselves, they just, they just are who they are. Nature doesn't do that. A tree, An oak tree is just an oak tree, it's not trying to be a pine tree, it's not looking over to its neighbors and saying, gee, I wish I could grow some pine cones, it's just being an oak tree. But we, humanity, has the capacity to split off from ourselves and become something other than who we are. And that's what one of the things that makes us unique, and that's one of why we have to take a journey to the authentic self. And I see the authentic self as a holy grail. So there is work involved, and the work will be a, both a journey and a and a and a right now moment. Um, and we will know when we have attained some level, some degree, or some moment of authenticity, when we experience that deep peace within us. We found something true. So that's one of the things we can look for. But how to do it? Well, it's a journey, and we have to first know the role. We have to understand what's my pattern, what's the role that I play. Uh, Am I a Peter Pan? Am I a bully? Am I I a a victim? Am I a scapegoat? Am I a good, good guy identified? Am I a bad guy identified? Am I a scapegoat black sheep? Am I... You know, what, am I Peter Pan? Am I a runaway? Who, what, what is my role? What What kind of role do I play? And that's by really looking at yourself, spending some time writing, dialoguing with yourself, looking at your own patterns of behaviors, you know, um, just, just getting a real life sketch of yourself and so that you can see clearly this, yep, this is the role I play. Getting in touch with your mantras is one of the ways that is really helpful to f- understand your role uh, the mantra is something we say to ourselves over and over and over again without knowing we're saying it and getting in touch with that, oh, here, I, I hear myself saying that again. Oh, yeah, I hear myself saying that again. Uh-huh, yeah, I hear myself saying that again. I say that to myself a lot, you know. That must be one of my mantras. So, um, you know, what is that mantra? Is it life is hard? Is it? Is it I won't grow up? Is it, you know... Uh, nobody cares about me. What What is that mantra? What is it? What are you saying to yourself over and over and over again without notice, noticing that you're saying it? And that mantra is a key to that role because it's, it's coming from the role. It's, it's a message to you from your identity. But there's other messages that are coming to you from your authenticity, and they usually come in the form of feelings or in the body sensations or tiredness or you know, energy, um, all kinds of ways that the authentic self has of communicating to us. And if we can listen to those as well, then we begin to go, oh, okay, that's the voice of my authenticity. That's the voice of my role. And that's the first step. We have to differentiate, as Carl Jung said, before we can integrate. We have to differentiate the different voices within us before we can begin to say, oh, okay, this is what I want to keep and this is what I want to toss. And uh, that process is is it's a journey, and uh, it, sometimes I've seen people get it really really quickly, and be able to just go, oh, I, um, this is you know I see this is my authentic self, and that's the voice of my mask and costume, my role, my identity. I see it, I got it, I know it, and they're just off on that journey then from that on, and they're and they're able to grasp it really quickly, and I think that's because. They have already done a lot of work prior to, you know, really stepping into the the framework of an authentic self. Uh, and so they're ready for it. But other people, it takes, you know, a while to get in touch with that, you know, to distinguish between the various voices. What is, when is my authentic self speaking to me? When is, when is the role of the mask and costume speaking to me? And being able to discern the difference. One of the things that I've done, With clients uh, uh, in the past and and even currently, is that is having them do what I call what Gestalt called a, a two chair, where you write down all the mantras, all the behaviors, all the all that you know that to be true about the role, the mask and costume, and put it in one chair, and you write down all the things that you know to be true about the authentic self, and you put them in another chair. And you go stand behind the, vo- the the authentic self and you speak to the role and you say, I need to hear from you. I want to know what you have to say to me. And then you go behind, stand behind the role, the the, the chair, that the role's mantras are sitting in and you speak from the role to the authentic self and you say, you know, these are the things that I think about. These are the things that I want. These are the things that I try. These are the things that I'm disappointed in. And so you get a dialogue going between the authentic self and the role. So now they're not so far apart, so compartmentalized, so far away from each other, so split off. Now they're they're talking to each other. And that is huge. It's huge. Those two aspects of self uh, talking to each other. And you might want to, if you're not comfortable doing that or you think it's too scary or you think it'll be too emotional for you, don't do it alone. Do it with a therapist. Get a therapist to, uh, to do that with you. And uh, don't do it just with a friend because, you know, you might get into judgment and fear and all kinds of things happen with that. Do it with somebody who's trained. And particularly I recommend transpersonal therapists because they do a lot of work with the authentic self and they understand that there is an authentic self uh, that people can tap into that's very different from the role, the identity that they play. So, um, you know, uh, that kind of work can be very helpful, that two-chair work. Um, but but just being able on a daily basis to sit with and and the the feelings that rise up and not try to quash them, not try to say, oh, that's a bad feeling. I shouldn't feel that. That's one of the things that's going on and has been going on over the past 20 years in uh, the new age and new thought and uh, um, spiritual but not religious and uh, that that sort of group of movements as a collective have 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 put forth this idea that there are such things as negative feelings and that we shouldn't feel those feelings because if we feel those feelings we're attracting negative energy into our lives and I wrote a whole book about this uh, it's called The Law of Attraction The Soul's Answer to Why It Isn't Working and How It Can um, uh, to try to talk about you know, the, the, the untruth that we get from that understanding of the law of attraction and what the real law of attraction really is um, so that we we stop thinking in terms of negative or positive and start thinking in terms of, of what is really going on inside of me and let me just address it. Let me just be with it. Stop trying to label it as wrong or right. Again, that's another way of talking about morality. It's a softer tone. You'd call it negative or positive instead of good or evil. But really, it's the same idea. That there's a bad person inside me who wants to do bad things and I have to control it or else I'm going to do, you know, really bad things. And I, I, what what I found to be true is that we do have an identity that does betray us and other people. But that's not a bad person. It's, it's a, a betraying person. And uh, we do have an authentic self who wants us to live from our truest compassion and passion in life wants us to live from the truth of us. It doesn't want us to live from the lie. And the lie is that there is no authentic self and that there's only good and bad and you have to choose which one you're going to do. That's a lie. It's just not true. Um, so when we're when we're uh, sort of negotiating our way through life, knowing that there's an authentic self makes a big difference. Just knowing that I have an authentic self, the roots of my tree, that is the source of my energy, that is a divine self, that is a Christ nature, that is a Buddha nature, that is a, uh, an authentic self, that is a soul, that is a spirit, whatever you want to call that, it is real. And just knowing that that's in there can be a really big, strong first step to solving the problem that morality creates when it tells us to be false in order to try to be right to stop trying to be who you are and try just to be good, good, good. Because if you can be good, 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 then you're finally a worthy person. And that is so dangerous to, to uh, again, to say that my worthiness depends on whether or not I can measure to some external standard that, does the, that may or may not have anything to do with my authenticity. Um, so when we gravitate to uh, that authentic self, what happens is we begin to feel more grounded in our lives. We begin to feel more genuine peace. We begin to feel more lighter. We begin to feel more like we've been enlightened. Uh, We begin to feel more certain that we can figure out what to do about a given scenario, a given problem, a given issue in our lives. We begin to feel that there's an authentic self in there who can guide me, who can tell me where to go. And it can even parent and reparent that identity because the identity is just a lost child who was looking for a way to survive. And the authentic self knows how to help it survive because it's the roots of the tree, not the branches, the roots. So uh, it's important to know we have that authentic self. It's important that the authentic self be considered as at a higher level of spiritual attainment than morality could ever accomplish which, uh, you know, again, that's what Jesus taught us when he came here. Um, and so this age in which morality has taken such a foothold as, as judgment of other people and even crime against other people uh, is going to be short-lived. It can't last forever because the authentic self of the collective is going to come out as well. So that's what we got for today. That's all we got. And uh, we'll be back again next week for more. So remember, if your job Your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself.
0: Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.